What's up, crew? Welcome to another Clover Tack podcast, February 23rd, 2022. It is 223 day. So happy 223 day to everybody out there. Uh, if you are live, thank you for being here on time for the live. Appreciate it. Uh, if you are live, remember that you do have a couple of perks above and beyond those that are listening in replay. But if you're in replay, welcome as well. Uh, if you're live, you can always ask questions for myself or the guest keep it on topic if you can at all possibly do that uh drop them out there in the live chat be patient we'll try to get to them and get them answered uh, also if you're live you can participate in the poll the poll out there today uh how do you th- how long do you think it takes to build your own firearm start to finish you've got minutes hours days and other if you choose other leave a comment we've had a uh, couple of folks that have done that already. So thanks for the uh, participation, voting in the polls. Want to say a very special thank you to the Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, those that super chat, super thanks, and purchase swag from the clovertech.com slash store because these particular podcasts, so that we can talk about things that are not necessarily policy compliant, uh, these are not monetized. So we've got a, a lot more flexibility in what we can do here. Thanks to everybody that uh, does what is scrolling down bottom. So yeah, we're going to have a conversation today with uh, Rob Pincus about uh, the Makers Match, about uh, building your own personal firearms, something that has been a hobby now uh, and subsequently turned into industry, but been a uh, a hobby and something people have done for literally uh, centuries. Going to bring in uh, Rob here. How are you, buddy? Good, man. How you doing? I am well. I am well. Cool. Good to be here. Appreciate you having me on. I got the, the Gunmakers Match. If people are interested, after the show, gunmakersmatch.com is where you can find out the information about that coming up next month. And uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Now, you guys are doing that, uh, or people are doing those all over the place, correct? Yeah. So we've been running um, educational events, gun private gun building days uh, at various locations. I think we've done them in four or five different states. We've done six of them now. And the last, uh, whatever, it's been seven, eight months since we started that. And we've run three regional matches as well. So we've done a smaller scale version of the Gunmakers match. Um, we've done two in Colorado and one in Massachusetts. And then, of course, the main one last year was down here in Florida. And we're getting ready to do another one down here as well. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Now, just a, a quick rundown. Can you give us a quick rundown? We're going to get into the the firearm making aspects talk a little bit about legalities i really want to hit on some uh some half truths some myths when it comes to that but uh just a quick rundown of the makers match what all is required to do that what are kind of the parameters and the rules of of that match so a little over a year ago we launched this idea with guns for everyone national of hosting an event for private gun makers and the idea was you know Private gun makers, there's a little bit of uh, stigma around it. There's a lot of mystery around it. As you said earlier, there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding around it. So the individual private gun maker doesn't always feel comfortable going to his local range and just pulling out his 3D printed gun or his kit gun. And in fact, when they do um, do the ask permission instead of forgiveness thing, many ranges have told private gun makers, no, they can't shoot 
uh, particularly 3D printed guns on their range, um, really just kind of out of a typical, you know, knee jerk reaction. Hey, that's something different. That's something new. Um, we don't want to have to learn about it. So we're just going to say no. Um, and obviously there are no, there are no national competitions that allow 3D printed guns to enter, uh, much less even privately made guns. Now, Polymer 80, of course, is one of the big names in the kit gun business. They will tell you, well, no, we have teams that compete in, you know, various divisions of various competitions, but that's with their serialized guns, not with what everybody knows Polymer 84, the, the kits that people make at home. So we right. launched this event called the Gunmakers Match, and, and really, the, to boil it down and make it simple, it's a single type of firearm, whether it's a pistol caliber carbine, a rifle, or a pistol, shot on three to four stages, um, very much like you would see in a, something in, in the middle between a USPSA type match and an IDPA type match. And the only rule that really matters is you have to have made the firearm yourself. Right. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, that, that gets into, I guess, uh, off-grid simplicity out there. And uh, we can go down this 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 rabbit hole, I suppose. Um, he says, uh, gun making or gun assembly. So you've got building, you've got making, you've got assembly, you've got manufacturing. There's all of these different terms floating around. Um, you've got ghost gun, right? That's the big thing that it seems like the anti-gun element want to hit us with a lot. Right. Um, and I find it a little bit ridiculous. I want to, I want to hit on that term first and get into the nuances between assembly and, and making, but I want to hit on the ghost gun term first, because that's a, that's a stick in my crawl because what part of that is a ghost gun? It's real. It's tangible. It's there. First of all, and second of all, there is still, even though we're talking non-serialized, at least in uh, certain states that allow such a thing, um, you're talking about you got to have parts, right? I mean, who is making their own barrels? Who is making their own bolts? Who is making their own slides, right? You talk about the P80s and the other things. So you've got parts. You've got materials. You've got. There's some sort of paper trail on that, even if it's you're doing it yourself. Am I wrong with that? That there's there's still some type of paper trail there. I mean, it's not like it's being done completely in the dark. Well, for 99% of private gun makers, I would say that's true. However, you can make your own barrels. I have not made my own rifled barrel, um, but obviously a shotgun barrel can be smoothbore and you can make the rest of the parts from stuff you know of a, of a simple gun with 3D printing or bending metal, uh, stuff you can buy at the hardware store. So there's a lot of different ways to make guns. And of course, the final product looks a lot different. If you expect it you know, to look like look like this, then, then yeah, you're going to have a, uh, a polymer 80 kit and you're going to have a whole bunch of actual firearms parts that are going to be put onto that that you have a paper trail on theoretically now as anyone is ready to point out you can go to a gun show and buy it for cash and then there is no paper trail buy it from your friend for cash you know whatever there are obviously ways around that what i always say is this shouldn't be our our argument right if, if somebody's trying to make the argument that no stop with the ghost gun concept because there's always a paper trail you're playing their game Right. The idea is you got to remember there's a presupposition on on the gun control side that there's supposed to be a paper trail or that all the guns are supposed to be accounted for and that there shouldn't be a gun that like some guy in some file, you know, cabinet room in Washington can't go to the file and say, oh, here's gun number three. It's owned by gun number gun owner number 704. And it's in, you know, whatever Poughkeepsie, you know, let's go get it. You know, so that that is wrong. 
So just this whole idea, there's a narrative about how much money it costs or how long it takes or whether the parts are traceable or not. And I think that's the we're playing their game. We got to get away from that narrative. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's that's why I wanted to, to go down that road, uh, because, yeah, I mean, it, how do you <laughs> that's a bad thing. If we've got the government looking at transactions enough. Right. To figure even figure out that paper trail. We've got a problem if they're right. even wanting to do that. Go, if, let me, if you want, I can kind of go down that assembly versus manufacturing versus Please. making. Mm -hmm. So, so let me like first kind of caveat everything I'm going to say tonight with, uh, I'm a hobbyist private gun maker, but I also have a manufacturing license an FFL type 07. And obviously a lot of people know I've been working on a manufacturing product for retail sale for a number of years. So I have some knowledge that comes from the manufacturing side, some knowledge that comes from the hobbying side. And sometimes really making a distinction between the two of those things is incredibly important. You know, I always make it really clear, like the private guns that I'm going to show you guys today, they're all Rob Pincus private gun making stuff, the 3D printed stuff, the kit stuff. It's not Avidity Arms, my manufacturing side, because if I were, if I were to do the same exact thing under the manufacturing license, I would have to put marks and a serial number on those firearms as they reached a certain point in the process of manufacturing, just like we do with the, the injection molded frames for the PD-10s and PD-11s that come out. They have to have serial numbers. That's an agreement that I and every other FFL you know, in the country makes with the government that if we're allowed to make guns for retail sale, and I'm gonna to refer to that from now on, I'm gonna to try to refer to it as manufacturing. If we're gonna manufacture firearms for retail sale and transfer, then we have to put a serial number on it. And we have to record it, right? So all, every time you see somebody that says we won't comply or you see a gun company selling a shirt that says shall not comply, call bullshit on them because they're complying. If they have an FFL 07, they're complying. Just like everybody with a concealed carry permit. And I don't want to go too far down that tangent, but sure. you know that's when it sticks in my craw. So the, the, when I'm doing that, I know that at a certain point I have manufactured or the company has manufactured a firearm and we have to have a number on it. On the private sector side, it's a little bit grayer, right? But um, we might get into that that phone call I had with the ATF recently, um, and we'll talk a little bit about the clarification I got on that call about what that point is. But applying my knowledge from the manufacturing side, I can tell you that to answer the question, to get into the gunmakers match, you must have actually made your own firearm. You have to start with something that is not a firearm in the eyes of the government, because that's the that's the definition we use, because it's it's the one we all go by in this realm, right? So right. it is not a firearm, and then it becomes a firearm because of some work that you do with your own tools. And whether it's plastic, 3D printed, a plastic kit, 3D printed, a metal kit, um, bending metal, and some of the sheet metal guns, there's a lot of different ways to get there, milling out from a big chunk of metal, a lot of different ways to get there. But once you get there, you have made a firearm. And that's very, very different from building or assembling a firearm from like a stripped lower. And, and that's something that's great and it's fun. And I know there was a big movement, you know, over the last probably 10 years, built, not bought kind of a thing. When we say build guns in the, in the nomenclature here with the gun makers match, we're talking about an even a step further of making something, not just assembling parts that were made through traditional manufacturing for the purpose of kit building or customization. Right. And for the, now in regards to the, to the ATF, I know that there was a distinction that they were making uh, when it involved the tools that you were yep. using now is that specifically for the match or for private gun making hobby altogether 
Or if do you go you back to 2015, there was a rule, uh, you know, and we know that the difference between the laws and the ATF's rules, um, there, there's not a lot of practical difference for the average person. But if you're interested in the gun rights issues, um, there is a difference. Obviously, if you're interested in the civil rights issues, there's a difference. But there is an existing rule uh, that the ATF is, is enforcing, uh, although I don't know of them enforcing it recently, and I certainly don't know of them enforcing it on the individual level. But in direct communications, they are saying they would enforce this rule, which says when you are making a gun, not only must you do the work yourself, but you also must use tools that you own, that they must be your tools. You can't borrow a tool from a friend. So let's put this in perspective. In 2015, this rule really went into effect to prevent somebody that has a machine shop. You know, let's say, I don't know, pick, pick any firearms manufacturer out there, right? Uh, Daniel Defense. If, if, uh, Marty Daniel says, hey, uh, Clover, why don't you come down to the shop in Georgia and uh, come over here and we'll let you push the green button on the CNC machine and you can make your own AR. And then he just hands you that that finished lower and doesn't put a serial number on it. That's what the ATF was trying to stop. They didn't want somebody to be able to go into a machine shop that was set up to build guns, just push a button and basically get a manufactured firearm um, without them really doing any work. Now, I have my own issue with that. I don't I don't think that should be illegal, but I also don't think we should have to have special right. licenses to manufacture firearms in the first place, right? But since we're living in reality land, in reality land, that's the way it works. Now, where the problem is the ATF now wants to enforce this down, I don't even have one right here, but down to the level of if I hand you a pair of snips that right. you know, like a $3 pair of snips, and you use it to remove part of the the little blocks here that that keep you from being able to put a slide on the frame. You remove it with the little snips. That $3 tool that I've loaned you has now just cost uh, presumably both of us a felony, or at least you, because you have now made a gun with somebody else's tools. And maybe me too, because I loaned you the tool knowing you were going to use it to make a gun in their eyes illegally. It's ridiculous, wow. but that's what they're saying. So at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal because here's what I always say. Look, if you're coming to one of our gun building events, you're going to get into the hobby. You're going to want your own set of $3 snips. Just about everybody's sure. got a power drill. And if you don't, go buy one for $20, buy one for $14 at Harbor Freight. Like it's easy enough to get the tools and do it yourself. And you kind of are going to want them anyway. And here's a really important distinction for anybody who's getting into this, anybody who wants to help their friends get into it. And this is one of the clarifications that I, I've gotten a couple of times now from the ATF and many other people have. Remember that, like, remember, I go back to my, my manufacturer knowledge, right? I know at a certain point, those guns that we make for retail sale need to get a serial number, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say there's 10 steps in the manufacturing process. At step four, it needs to have a serial number before we go to step five or, I, or I'm in violation, right? So if I apply that same rule and same logic to what's going on with private gun making, well, what's that mean? That means that when I take, like, for example, I don't know, let me find something over here that's kind of in the raw. Well, you know that little video you showed earlier with all the me ripping apart all that stuff, right? right? You know, ripping apart all the all the stuff. That's the supports around the gun, the one that you tease this with. I don't actually have one in the raw here, but let's say that this was all still covered up with all the the supports. I have to do a bunch of work to clear all that support away before this thing will accept these internal parts, right? Right. Now, correct. The reality is that that manufacturing process we were talking about before, the ATF wants a serial number on it when it can accept all the other parts. So when it's just a spool of, of 3D printing material or it's just a chunk of metal, I don't have to put a serial number on it, but I do enough work so that the parts will fit, including cleaning up all those supports, right? So when it comes off the 3D printer, it's not a firearm yet. I take all those, depending on how much supports on it. Now, the video you showed was really early in my printing 
hobbiness and it, there was a lot of support on there. Like that was a mess. And, it, and you saw me having to pull and file and scrape. So I had to do a bunch of work. Now, once it's ready to take the parts, it's already a firearm. If I were to try to sell that, the ATF would come after me and say, you just illegally sold a privately made gun, right? So what's that mean? Well, if I did that in New York, I'd be in, in jail. If I did it in New Jersey, I'd be in jail. What's that mean? That means that by the same logic, we can treat it like a firearm we bought. And that means, obviously, if I go off and I buy a gun and like, here's, this is a new, new Canic, right? I got this Canic uh, dark side rival. If, if I were to take this gun and it wasn't working, but it is working great, but if it wasn't working, I could take it to you and say, hey man, this gun isn't working. Can you help me fix it? You could take it apart. Maybe you'd find a broken spring. Oh, look, Rob, there's a broken spring in there. Let's fix that. You could mm -hmm. fix the spring, hand it back to me and say, here you go, Rob. And that's called gunsmithing. And that's done all the time. And there's no transfer necessary. It's not illegal. And I can do exactly the same thing with my Polymer 80 kit. I can do exactly the same thing with a 3D printed frame. Once I do the work to get it to the point where it's a firearm, now I can use your tools or your help to get it the rest of the way to make it a reliable firearm but I've technically made it a firearm myself. That's a little bit of a gray area. I can understand where some people don't want to play in that gray area, but technically <laughs> once it's a firearm, you made it a firearm. Now you can get help and borrow tools. Wow. That's uh, it's crazy. The, the minor distinction there, right? Yeah, it really it is. It's a, it's a nuance, but it's an important nuance to understand at these gun building events, because you know, if somebody's going to be putting together something like this, I mean, there's, there's a little more complexity to getting this thing running and going, right? Some manufactured parts and, and some printed parts and then some hardware mm -hmm. parts and more manufactured parts when it comes to the fire control group and all that stuff. So if you're going to put something like this together for the first time, you probably want some help. You don't have to worry that like your friend can't help you get the alignment between this printed part and that printed part and maybe show you how the screws go in if he's done it before or even put the screws in to attach this accessory rail to the frame that you already made on the 3D printer in the CAD design to put your logo on it or whatever you did, pick mm -hmm. the color, you do all those things, you clean it up and get it ready to accept the parts. But now, yes, somebody else can help you, you know, get it running or fine tune it. And, and that's a that's a big difference because a lot of the fine tuning, like let's say you don't own a Dremel, but your buddy does. So you do the mass work with your snips and your drill and it, it will take the parts, but you're going to clean it up with your buddy's Dremel. Like that should be okay. Right. Wow. So you know, we talked about the makers match and getting into that, but you've also done some things at gun shows where people have done some stuff. Was that you yeah, or was so that somebody else? I was invited else? by uh, the Eagle shows um, out of Pennsylvania um, at their mm -hmm. big Oaks holiday gun show just outside of Philadelphia. Um, it's the same owners now as the JSD company. JSD Supply does a lot of great stuff for the gun making community. They're big supporters of the gun makers match. There's some of the JSD guys right up there in that picture behind me, in fact. Uh, Patmos Arms is also another subsidiary of theirs. They're, you know, the parts that complete Glock kits. So a lot of slides, stuff like that. I think they've got a SIG slide now as well. Um, JSD makes, um, actually, this is kind of cool. They make uh, a do-it-yourself fire control unit um, that wow. fits into those, uh, those grip modules for the 320s. Um, so you can actually make this part yourself because that's the serialized part if you were to buy that commercially now too. So great company. Uh, anyway, they also now own Eagle Shows. And they put on the Oaks Holiday Gun Show. Uh, gun okay. gun show they invited uh me up to run one of our private gun making educational days and i did it with matt holmes of 2a 3d print he came down from rhode island um and he and i kind of ran that we had some other 
uh, people that are known in the community. Uh, P80 Ralph was there. I think Alice Stryker 80 Ralph, as I saw his handle change. And uh, Chairman Juan is a big guy in the 3D printing community. He was there. Um, so we just invited people in, you know, that were at the gun show buying the kits. Like, if you want to learn how to do it, come on into the room and we'll help you figure it out. So do you see going, uh, I mean, that was your first and only foray into that aspect of it? Was do that one show? Gun show? Yeah. Yeah, our other events we've done at gun shops. So this was that okay. was the first one we did specifically at a gun show. And honestly, I don't know that it was any different. I guess, you know, at the end of the day, like we have had people come into the gun shops, know that and find out we're doing it, buy a kit, join the educational day and figure out how to do it and build their first gun right there with us. And the same thing happened at the gun show. I don't really see it as, as being any different. I mean, uh, you right. know, going back over a decade ago, I used to have um, build going back to the difference between building and making. I used to throw AR build parties and we, we called them the Supar Bowl. Uh, so S-U-P-A-R Bowl. Uh, build parties and we had like lowers with the laser etched logo on them. We do them on Super Bowl day. We'd have a bunch of gun guys didn't care about football get together and build ARs, you know, and that's really kind of the same idea. It's just getting a bunch of people together and that way, you know, that guy might have experience or that guy might notice you're doing something wrong or that guy, you know, has done that part before. And and then meanwhile, there's other guys who wouldn't want to do it on their own. Maybe they didn't even care that much about building a gun, but they're doing it for the social aspect. Um, I know we did one of these in Reno, um, a, a building kit uh sorry a kit building day in reno before the gun makers match was even born it was probably about a year and a half ago and uh we had a, a several people at that gun shop and friends of mine in that area who really just did it for the social aspect of it and uh mm -hmm. and then in, one of them at least i know ended up getting hooked on the hobby and has built several since nice uh jsd supply is out there says uh yeah they're awesome events tons of great people um yeah with the was was it the gun show you were talking about the the cop the law enforcement officer that had some questions and yeah so there's a video out there i'm not sure if it's i think it's on my youtube uh channel it's but i know i put it out there in social media and it was it was funny um we were videoing somebody was videoing me doing something else and i forget exactly what it was um but i was doing something with with finishing a gun or dealing with a 3d printed part or something mm -hmm. and the video was being made and about that time a police officer came into the room and now we had set up on purpose right next to where everybody paid to get into the thing so people were standing in line and we had the big double doors open into the room so they could see us and nice. we had the three printer set up there and, and a whole bunch of stuff going on so people would ask questions or we could invite people in like hey come in learn how to build your own gun well at the gun shows they've got uh, police officers that are like off duty, but not only are they doing security, they're also checking in guns. So if somebody has a right. gun, if they're carrying a gun and it's concealed, hey, have at it. If they're carrying a gun and it's open and it, they want it in a holster and they're gonna keep it in a holster, have at it. But if they wanna sell it, then they put a cable through it, you know, just to keep it clear and make sure if they're gonna be handing it back and forth to people, you know how it is. Right. So they yeah. were doing that. And one of them just kind of bebopped be around a corner and walked in as this video was being shot. And he goes, what y'all doing here? And I was like, we're building guns you should build a gun with us today, sir. And we ended up having a little back and forth. And it, he clearly, like, he looks right at the camera. He knows he's being videoed as we're talking about it. Um, but it was funny because it really kind of captured a moment that I think surprised a lot of people. You can imagine, like, in the comments, it was, he does know none of his business what you're doing. It's like, you're missing the point, guys. Like, we want everybody to know what we're doing. We're not doing anything illegal. We want this right. to be open. We want to celebrate this freedom. If you think you have to close the doors and hide in the dark when you build a gun, you're not free. Like that's being sneaky. That's not being free. Right. We want this way out in the open. 
right and so at that event was there well there's there newbies for for building or even any newbies as far as firearms that were interested in that I don't know about at the gun show. I, I know there was one father-daughter um, pair that came in, and I don't know. It seemed like she was pretty new to guns. I, clearly, she had been around guns before. I know right. that at one of our events in Colorado, we had a couple of interesting things happen. Um, well, both in Colorado and Massachusetts, we had people who built their first gun and competed with that gun the next day So uh, in a regional match. We had uh, in... I don't think in, in any other event that I'm aware of for sure, but definitely in Colorado, we had one person who built their own gun. Their it first like gun. Wow. And it was, they had never shot a handgun before. So they built the gun. It was their first gun. And because there's a range right there at Triple J Armory, we went right into the range and she shot that gun for the first time. And it was the first time she'd ever shot a handgun. So wow. that's a pretty cool story. Like, that's get pretty neat. Cool yeah. yeah. No, that's definitely pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, getting into walking it back to the makers match for a minute. So do you do you see more like from the ground up, three D printed that type of thing, or off of you know the poly kits? What seems to be the most popular from the, from the makers matches? Last year, we definitely on the the handgun side. I think we saw a lot more of the polymer eighty kits. And when I say a lot more, maybe let's say it was sixty forty, right? So there was mm-hmm. significantly more. Um, polymer 80 kits on the handgun side than there were 3D printed guns. You know, one of the, the partners we have, um, Guns for Everyone National puts these events on. Um, Firearms Policy Coalition um, is a co-sponsor of the educational building days. But at the matches, Aussie, uh, the Are We Cool Yet group, it's a, it's a group that supports development um, and new people coming into the 3D printing community. They were really like on board from even before we announced it publicly. They are a partner in the Gunmakers match with us. And obviously a lot of people that are part of their group attended last year. And that brought in a, a lot of real, really cool and interesting 3D printed guns. Now, we also had a couple of people who had fully metal guns that were oh, wow. uh, like like bent. We had one guy with a beautiful Uzi. He ended up winning actually with one of our high overall shooters. Um, he had a beautiful Uzi with, you know, just stamped uh, and bent metal that he had put together himself. So he privately manufactured a gun that honestly, if you saw it in the store, you'd, you'd think it came out of Israel. I mean, it was a, it was a beautiful example. And I actually saw some pictures yesterday. I don't know if I'm, I'm ruining a surprise for anybody. Um, let's just say I saw some pictures yesterday of two guns that are going to be in the Gunmakers match this year that are period specific to a certain uh, high profile uh, conflict that the United States was involved in a war. And uh, they are, they're really cool guns, both fully metal handgun and a rifle that are period specific. And it's, um, and he made them himself. So you see everything from like a very simple polymer 80 kit build that somebody might've spent, you know, a, a morning or a couple hours on all the way up to somebody who really put hours and hours and hours um, into building their own thing, maybe days or weeks. You know, we had, uh, we had one guy come to one of the regional matches in Massachusetts who had milled out um, on a, like a, just a very simple uh, machinery in his garage, uh, his own metal 320 uh, replica, um, SIG 320 replica. And it was gorgeous, wow. high gloss, blue, just just a gorgeous. People can see that on my YouTube as well. I, I have a lot of these videos. There's a couple of them that have gone kind of big and viral, but there's a lot of them with, you know, like 500,000 views. So if you guys are interested in seeing some of this stuff, hit my YouTube channel and, and bump those views up and uh, share them around. Cause there's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of hard work that people put into these guns that are, they're way prettier than mine. Uh, right. <laughs> matches. Uh, speaking of yours, uh, Brad out there, 
says, Rob, have you dropped any uh, STLs yet of your designs? So first of all, what's an STL? And then yeah, so the STL, it's, it's the file type. Um, so once you have, you go into a CAD program and you tweak design, start from scratch, whatever it is you're doing, and then you export that as a, a file. And then that file uh, gets turned into a, another kind of file that the 3D printer reads. Uh, but the 3D printer files are very specific to the type of printer. Um, so you, it's, it's really tuned. That it's called a, a, a G-code. And that G-code is the file that you is specific to your printer. So what the designers put out is called an STL. So the STL is sort of the, the in-between from you know napkin sketch to what your printer is actually going to do. You put out a file. So the answer to that is no. Um, I have some here, actually. Some of these, uh, actually I have a whole bag. Literally, like this is one of the nice things about 3D printing is people ask you how many guns you have and what you don't, you're not even joking <laughs> when you say, I really have no idea. But these, every one of these different colors is a different iteration. I know the lighting's not so great right there, but every different color in this bag is a different iteration. Uh, and in fact, this might've actually been, this is a pink gun. I bet this is the gun that, on that time-lapse that you showed to tease right. this video today. I think it's this one. Um, Every different color is a different generation of this. And, and what I was trying to do was take my Avidity Arms PD-10 and create a different internal layout so that it would take Glock 48 parts. Um, and that way I could, because obviously nobody can get the slides or the internals for my gun until we release it, but everybody can go out and buy uh, Glock 48 slides and barrels and, and internal parts. So I was, right. I was working on this project was actually what that is. And no, this has not been released um, had some problems really with the magazine was the big deal um, because the, the Glock magazine is uh, plastic and it's a little bit thicker than the PD-10 frame will allow for. The PD-10 magazine is metal and that's really where I got into the problem. So the, the big hiccup was basically what, what we were going to have to do, and this is the reason it really never, never finished and kind of just has been stalled. We were going to have to take a Glock 48 slide barrel, all the upper Glock internals except for the magazine release and use a Springfield XDS magazine because it's a metal magazine that would fit into the dimensions of the PD-10 grip. And wow. uh, that seemed, yeah, so so that, that if that's the project he was asking about, um, that has not been released because of that, you know, just kind of like three branded hiccup that was there. Um, but but I, it is something that I, I did put a whole lot of time and effort in and it helped me understand kind of how hard these guys work. You know, something like this SVTR, which takes, you know, an old Mac 9 up, you know, an upper that's been around for, for 30 years and put it into this really cool, you know, PDW capable uh, pistol you can attach a brace to. Um, the, the guys that are doing this stuff are just, they're, they're amazing designers, they're engineers and uh, the beta test teams that are going like the Aussie guys and some of the other groups out there. There's just so much work that goes into it. You know, what I really, where my CAD work stops is customizing grips like putting like a, <laughs> right. a bump on the back where it's going to fit my hand better putting a little groove here for my thumb uh, putting a magwell in there uh, maybe changing the undercut you know that kind of stuff so i can take i've taken a lot of guys designs and just sort of tweaked them i think it's one of the cool things about 3d printing um, is that you can when you get that stl file or some other types of files you can go back in and tweak it and really set it up for yourself and of course you know everything i do i throw my triquetra logo on there um, so that, that, that to me is about as, as industrious as I've been lately on the uh, CAD side. Well, you know, all the, you know, working on the, uh, I guess that's the Avidity design you're talking about, right? Yeah. The Avidity, yeah. The Avidity Arms PD-10, you know, for many years. Gotcha. Been working yeah. On that. 
which is the which is the manufacturing side. As you yep. mentioned earlier, want to keep those separate. But what I was going to say about that is that's pretty neat for prototyping and being able to do the different colors to easily distinguish between the versions, right? Dude, you don't know. Like when you go back, uh, I've only been printing for, you know, 14, 15 months, right? But, mm -hmm. but we've been buying 3D printed prototype stuff for the Avidity project and have been involved with some other projects too for, for years, right? Many, many, many years and spending hundreds of like spending more money than I've spent on printers sometimes for just one iteration of, you know, send me print three of these and send them to me because I'm going to break them. And, and I think about the thousand dollars. I've got three printers now that don't cost a thousand dollars to put all together with all the parts or whatever else I put into them. And the fact that I was paying a thousand dollars for one prototype or, you know, three, three of one iteration just boggles my mind. Like, like where, how far we've come and how far the possibilities have come for the individuals. Um, I actually I brought these two things out. Um, I showed you this, this uh, SVTR, right? So this is based on the, the nine millimeter uh, Mac style uh, upper and, and bolt and all that, right? So what I tried to do is I took that and I started doing some work to shrink it down to a 380 size um, for the Mac 11 instead of the, the, the Mac uh, nine, nine mil Mac, the Mac, uh, nice. what do you call it? Nine millimeter versions. So that's what right. this represents. And these are really thin. These are really lightweight. Um, whereas that frame uh, might take, I don't know, 14, 16 hours to print, if not longer, um, because it's very dense for a 3D print. It's got to be strong. I want that one to last, you know, as long as possible, if not forever. These don't have to last just long enough for me to just see if the parts fit. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, print this one out in an hour, very lightweight, hollow. Don't need the rest of it. I only need the part where the parts go, right? And then this one, you know, here's version two. Version two comes out, you know, an hour and a half later. Um, and you can do a lot of rapid prototyping that way. So, um, in fact, figuring out all the stuff we had to figure out for that PD48 project with the uh, magazines, I, all I would do is print about an inch of the grip at different um, angles and at different thicknesses to see how thin I could go and which magazines I might be able to get to work with it. Um, so it's, it's as far as rapid prototyping from a manufacturing standpoint, it's it, literally the, the machines that we're using to build these these guns and gun parts um, can also be incredibly important um, in the corporate design side, too. Right. Uh, for those that are live, don't forget the poll out there. How long do you think it takes to build your own firearm start to finish? Uh, we've got 44% uh, says hours right now, 38% days, 15% other, and hopefully they've left a comment. 3% uh, say minutes. I want to want to tackle that here in just a second, but we got a couple of questions, Rob, uh, dealing with software here. Uh, first one is Charles out there. He says, uh, what CAD software do you use? Uh, and then... I'm, I'm assuming related to that Keystone says, uh, Rob, are you using Fusion 360 for design? So you want to address those? Yes, it, I am using Fusion 360 and that is the CAD program. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm using the slicer, the one that that's kind of the lingo. It's, it's called slicing. You slice from the, what comes out of CAD before it goes into your printer, you slice and, and I'm using Cura, uh, C-U-R-A for the slicing. Right. So you're know, getting into the, the poll. And, you know, we had recently, um, I'm not even going to get deep into it because I don't think we should be bringing a, a lot of light to it. But there were some senators that wrote a letter. Let's just put it that way. And one of the, we talked about the misinformation. And one of the things in there that annoys me is they said minutes. They said you could build a gun in minutes. So for you, you said you were, what, 12, 14 months into this. Uh, from, I want to build a gun until the gun is finished. 
what type of time frame, best case scenario, what type of time frame do you think you've got on that? Well, as, as usual, most of these issues, they're, they're a little bit complex. So I want to clarify before I give, just give you a simple answer, right? Right. Um, the, what I've been doing for 14, 15 months is the 3D printing stuff. Right. So that 3D printing stuff does take hours. I mean, even even to do something simple like, you know, this this kind of Glock 17 or Glock 34 style frame, um, doing something like that. Um, you, you're but if you were just to download the files, not do any changes, just like let's say you, from the time you open your computer to get the file to the time that you actually are out on the range shooting. I can't imagine that being less than 15 hours. And, and it's probably going to be over the course of a couple of days, obviously, if it takes that long. Right. So, right. yeah, if you yeah. get up early in the morning, you could be shooting before you went to bed. But that also means you'd have to have all the other parts around, too. Right. So you would have. Correct. So now we're going to count going to JSDsupply.com and ordering your slide or, you know, we're going to count all that stuff. I, I don't know. And and right. so let's be clear about that. That's the 3D printing side. Now, something like this, right. you know, this is this might be 30 hours worth of work, you know, for sure to get to the yeah. point where this, this will shoot. Um, right. if not more. So now let's talk about the, uh, polymer 80 kits. All right. Polymer 80 kits. Uh, I have not yet done it officially. I obviously have to do it. Maybe I'll do it the weekend of the gunmakers match. I think if you put all the parts out on the table and all the tools were there, I think that there are, there are several people that I know personally who are friends of mine and myself who could get real close to that, that 30 minute challenge. Uh, you know, you hear people say that a lot of the politicians will say that then it gets into the media. You know, you can go online and buy parts and build a gun in less than 30 minutes. Well, with those, it might actually be true. Um, it, it really isn't that much work once you've done it um, a lot. You know, you, you get pretty confident and OK, this is where I drill the holes. This is where I use the snips. This is where I need to use the Dremel. And then you throw the parts in. and It's kind of how fast could you put, a, you know, if you had a completely stripped Glock, how fast could you put that together? Well, right. if you say you can do that in 10 minutes or less, it should, it probably, once you're good at the, the kits and you're, you know, you're not going to screw it up by going fast and you know what to do, mm -hmm. getting one of those kits together in 15 or 20 minutes or, or removing the materials that you can put the parts in, in 15 or 20 right. minutes, isn't all that hard, right? So then you put the Glock together in 10 minutes, there's your 30 minutes. Now I will tell you very confidently, you know, I'll, I'll take, you know, whatever bet somebody wants to put down that I can take a polymer ready kit and get it running in less than an hour. But let's remember what I said earlier in the show. If our argument is that's no, it, it takes days, it takes thousands of dollars. And if that's your argument, you're making the wrong argument. You're playing their game. It right. shouldn't be regulated. It shouldn't be restricted. It shouldn't matter how hard or easy it is for me to build a gun. It's a, it's a freedom issue. It's a civil rights issue. Ultimately, it's a self-preservation issue. It's a freedom hobby. The last thing we want to do is get mired down in, the, in somebody saying, well, it's okay if you borrow the snips, but you can't borrow the power tools. Or it's okay right. if you borrow the hand drill, but you can't borrow the, the CNC machine. Right? Or, or it's when okay you borrow it, right? Hours. Yeah, but you can't do it if it takes you less than an hour. I mean, that's those are not yeah. the civil rights arguments we want. Yeah. Or, or when you can borrow, right? I mean, that's, I mean, think of it like a magazine capacity band, right? And this is how I try Like whenever I'm talking to somebody that's into magazine capacity bands on in the gun control world, or just somebody that's not even part of gun world. And they say, well, I don't understand why we can't. So here's the problem. 60 plus percent of the firearms related deaths in our country every year are suicides. What's the magazine capacity restriction that stops the suicide? Right zero right like because if you got one you only need one bullet 
So literally there is no, don't talk about magazine capacity restrictions because there's no number that makes sense. You can't put your finger on a number that says this number would save lives. That number doesn't exist. And it's the same thing with how long does it take to build a gun? Which numbers, you know, is worth giving up my freedom? There isn't a number. So we have to be really careful about that conversation. But but for those, you know, if, if I'm going to give out the award, if somebody said minutes, I think you're right, because you can build a certain type of gun if you have all the parts in minutes. Now, if you want to build a gun from scratch, like this is a this is a frame, uh, a lower, if you will, from uh, a FGC nine. If you want to build a what is a completely homemade gun, and this is one where most people, everything but the barrel and maybe a couple of springs uh, are, are not firearms parts. It's stuff that you weld yourself. It's stuff that you buy raw metal. It's stuff you buy at the hardware store or it's things that you 3D print and then you put a manufactured barrel in it. But as I said earlier, you can use a process called um, electrochemical machining to very inexpensively uh, with, with two five gallon buckets and some salt water and, and a battery. Uh, you can make your own rifled barrel. Um, and that, that process is a little bit messy and it's a little bit you know, uh, cumbersome, I guess, just to do. But if you have if you have the will and knowledge, I think, to build one of these completely 3D printed guns, I know a lot of people do it just to see if they can. Um, I haven't taken the time, effort, energy to do it. But you can make your own gun completely with that is a pretty cool looking, you know, semi-automatic gun that you can print out. I know around here somewhere I've got some magazines. I mean, this is this, you know, in this light, that probably just looks like a regular old Glock 17 magazine. But um, that's a 3D printed magazine. Um, so you can you can do everything you need to do on the 3D printer. Now I, I do I, obviously this has not maybe not obviously, but this has a standard Glock magazine spring in it. Do right. I need to use a Glock magazine spring? Probably not. I could probably go to the hardware store and figure something out um, that would work in it, or go on to Amazon and figure something else out. Um, but right. so in principle, uh, you can build your own gun without any pre-manufactured parts. But it's going to take a lot more time um, and a lot more ingenuity, and there's probably going to be a lot more tweaking um, uh, to get it reliable. Right. Yeah, and that's that goes into you know what you were saying about you know being able to get into that 30 minute range into the minutes. You know how many hours, how many days, how many months have you spent honing your skills and and everything exactly. else to be able to yeah. do it? Right. And that's the thing. Like I was saying, I've only done the printing for 14 or 15 months, but I mean, I was doing kit builds and and even did a, an 80 percenter way back in the day uh it all going all the way back to the 90s um i haven't i didn't do very many of them i kind of got away from it but as far as the building right. talking about built not bought obviously i've been doing that for you know pretty solidly over the last couple of decades i'm even going technically going all the way back to the early 90s um piece building uh from stripped lowers 1911s so so, that, so yeah i get it like i have as i said like like it's me a lot of other people that i know have done this enough Maybe that 30 minute challenge isn't so ridiculous, um, but I, but I don't think it would take much for people to be able to do it in an hour or two at all. I've seen yeah. people gun gun building days um, who've never done it before um, just with the right guidance and the right encouragement. Like, yeah, don't worry about it. Snap that off. Uh, they get it done in a couple hours. Right. But, you know, again, that's not the point. And not you know, I think that's I think that's what gets me. I mean, it's like when they were saying they say politicians say the stupidest things and it's. It's like when they were saying, well, it's easier to get a Glock than it is a library card. And I'm like, in what world <laughs> is it easier? It, you know, um, so for me, it's because the Glock's right here and, and the library's like 10 miles away and it's closed right now. So right now, 
Well, it's true. Right. Yeah. But right. the idea, but, right, but you're right. <laughs> right. As a, for the average human being that doesn't own a gun has never owned a gun. It's, it is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And it's so I, I think when they say ridiculously, it should be easier to get a library card. Maybe we wouldn't have so many ignorant com comments being made in the media if it were easier to get a library card. Well, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. Flip it around on them. But, it, you know, when they say stupid things, the, the immediate reaction seems to be to go and try to defend against yes. that stupid thing, right? Instead of exactly. picking another lane and, and changing the course of the conversation. A hundred percent. And redirecting it back to, you know, people talk all the time. I, I got to give a, a shout out of appreciation to Professor David Yamane at uh, Gun Culture 2.0. You know, he's been doing that great series of short videos, um, Light Over Heat. In other words, let's let's stop getting into so many heated debates. Let's shed some light on the shed some light on the real issues when it comes to guns in America. And right. he uh, he gave me a shout out today for uh, some participation I had in a journal article in the American Journal for Public Health, talking about how to better talk about firearms with firearms owners. If if a medical professional or mental health professional really wants to help, they need to stop being ignorant about guns. And uh, he gave that a little shout out. But one of the things he said was. You know, obviously, I get a lot of static for having conversations with people outside of the gun world and, and trying to be, you know, reasonable. Well, being reasonable to me doesn't mean compromise. Being reasonable to me means if somebody says, hey, I heard you can build a gun in less than 30 minutes. We say, well, why are you worried about how long it takes? And we redirect the conversation to what time frame do you think is reasonable or what is the issue? Why are you worried about that sensationalized soundbite? You know, what are we really here to talk about? And I think those dialogues are incredibly important. Uh, but but that's what it's about when, you know, we do a lot of work at Second Amendment organization to help educate people, be better grassroots advocates. One of the things that being a better grassroots advocate is sort of like, don't take the bait. Don't have the debate that they want to have. Right. You got to you got to redirect these these ridiculous things. Some people say in the gun control community back to reality, you know, and, and that, that's true about a, a whole bunch of topics. But it's especially true right now around private gun making and, and quote unquote ghost guns. Right. Well, I mean, look at. You know, it's like I said when we first started. I mean, people have been making their own firearms since the very first firearm was made, right? That's yep. the whole reason we have manufacturers is people started making them and said, hey, we can make a bunch of these right. and they're sought after and we can sell them, right? Um, and then that's, that's how the industry got started. Um, you know, but back in the day, you know, you literally, you had, you know, metal you had your forwards you had your blacksmithing tools and that's pretty much what you what you used right um so it, you know it gets to to me anyway when you look at them they don't realize they see the flashy fancy stuff that's modern this is what gets me right so you know whether you're talking about the demonization of um uh, an ar-15 right or you're talking about private gun building I think we get to a certain point that it looks complicated enough. It looks scary enough, right? That they can say stupid things and intimidate people into believing that. Right. And yeah, so it, it's like if they, but at the end of the day, you know, they don't understand that you can literally, you said it earlier with a shotgun, you can literally go down to the hardware store. I would bet for 20 bucks or less, I could build a slam fire shotgun from stuff from the oh. hardware store and yeah. probably do it in less than an hour. Sure. So you're, you're just because 
like I said, nobody has ever talked about that, though, right? Nobody's ever said anything until now we've got really cool, what we would say is cool-looking stuff, right? I mean, slime shotguns are kind of stupid-looking. But we've got we've got cool looking stuff now, right? And so that freaks them no out. Offense, no offense to slam fire shotgun builders. No, no offense. But it, it 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 I think that freaks them out because the cooler we can make our own firearms, the more people might want to make those firearms, and that worries them. Well, I think what again to me it's really important to unravel it all, right? Let's go back, 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 back why are you worried about how many rounds the gun holds? Why are you worried about how long it takes? Why are you worried about how far it can shoot? Why are you worried about how powerful it is? If you really want to reduce negative outcomes, none of those things matter. It's about education. It's about proactive mental health. It's about responsible gun ownership, educating gun owners how to be more responsible. Uh, it's about educating kids about how to interact with guns, even if adults or knowledgeable adults aren't around. You know, that's how we're going to reduce negative outcomes. And obviously, that's not even touching the whole, like whatever is causing a violent crime issue, right? Or yeah. crimes of violence that come out of crimes of finance, you know, robbery, burglary, things like that. So there is a, uh, a real distraction game going on. It's like, it's like an illusion, right? It's like a sleight of hand. Let's not talk about any of the things that are really going to reduce negative outcomes. Let's talk about how fast can you build a gun? How fast can you fire the shots? How, how many bullets can you fire without having to reload? Um, forget, nobody wants to talk about how fast you can reload because that distracts from their narrative. Right. But I think that's an important thing, right? It's like, how, you know, what, what's your vision in your head right now, person who wants to control magazine capacity, right? What's your, what's your vision? I mean, we get a lot of people that teach active shooter response, right? I think um, Tim Kennedy, I think is the one who got, I see him the most often attacked uh, for this. Like, you know, he, he gets quoted with the whole, when someone reloads, it gives you an opportunity to jump up from, from under the desk or in the corner you were hiding and run at him and tackle him. So what happens? Gun control side says, oh, we'll see if people have to reload more often, then that's more opportunity for somebody to stop the threat. Well, guess what? If the guy in the corner isn't hiding in fear because he couldn't carry a gun in the gun-free zone, he's carrying yep. a gun. He has the opportunity to stop the threat without worrying about whether he's reloading or not, right? It just, it yep. just misses the whole thing because I teach active shooter response and I teach exactly the same thing because – Generally speaking, you will look at all these videos going all the way back to Columbine when when the threat either reloads, deals with a malfunction, or changes guns. They stop moving and they look down at their guns because they didn't take a combat focus shooting. Right. Class, right? Yeah. So they look down at their gun. They they stop moving. And that does give you an opportunity. So if you tell a bunch of teenagers, if you tell a bunch of people in a corporate office, hey, just when you're cowering in fear, put this trigger in your mind that says when he stops, when he looks down at his gun, that's your chance to rush him, charge him, throw a book at him, tackle him, whatever you're going to do. But use that as an action trigger to move forward. So just because I'm saying that, that doesn't make me an advocate for magazine capacity bans. It makes right. me an advocate for people stuck in active shooter situations that don't have a better means to defend themselves. They have some idea when would be the best time to try to defend themselves you know, with improvised tools or, or unarmed. And, and because we put that out, people want to jump on it on the gun control side and say, oh, see, expert Rob Pincus or some other guy says, you know, right. low capacity magazines would save lives. Not what well, we're saying. Okay, so, you know, carrying a firearm is not the answer to all Absolutely things. Absolutely not. Right. And so, you know, I get, I get where people will say that. But, you know, here's the thing. The same, the same reasoning I use that I don't want anybody infringing on my right to do something, that person has every right to not exercise that right if they so choose. Sure. Of course. So if you right. don't want to carry a gun, I don't like guns. As long as you stay out of my business with it. As long as you don't care what I have and I don't care what you have, well, you, if I don't 
if I truly don't care what you have, right? Uh, you, I want you to be as free as possible. You go do your thing. Well, if your thing is, I don't ever want to carry a firearm, as silly as I think that is, you may have training in hand-to-hand combat, right? You may choose other means of self-defense other than I'm going to carry a firearm just simply because you don't like them or you don't want to, and you have the right to do that. So the education you're talking about. I just thought of it. I should be applying this when I get on the plane because every time I get on a plane, I have to wear a mask, right? Which is supposed Mm -hmm. to protect me even though I don't want to, but I wonder how many people on the plane are carrying like tourniquet and other emergency medical. I feel like I, you wear the mask, you control the germs. I'll carry the tourniquet and we're good. Right. Now we're yeah. cooperating. <laughs> like, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to try that with United this week. Yeah. See if that we've got, we've got all the bases covered, right? right. right. Um, Lucy out there jumped in with a $5 super chat. Thanks bro. That's uh, Ricardo. We call him Lucy for obvious reasons. Um, you know, I want to I want to hit on something here. I know you've got just a couple minutes left, uh, and I think it's important. We, we you hit on it a few times, and you t- you talk about you know magazine bans. Oh, if it's the guy would just change the magazines and that. If we have to come, and I, I guess not. You know, if you've got hardened them and anti-gun people, I don't know that you ever win them over, regardless of what argument you try to use or which way you try to approach it. But if you've got people that are genuinely interested in saving lives, there's you, you hit on it earlier. You can't overlook suicide. That's the overwhelming vast majority, what, two-thirds, and it never gets talked about, um, at, well, least not, at least not to the level of gun right. control. It, it never gets talked about. Because, right. because, it, because it kind of reveals the lie. Right. If we, and, if we expose where the real deaths are, it exposes the lie of most of the gun control organizations. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, you know, obviously Mike with Walk Talk America is doing great work with that. And and to that point, uh, guys, there will be a live stream over on Tactical Pineapples channel Friday night. I link to it in the community tab. So check that out on YouTube if you want to, and, and Mike's going to be on there as, as well as Sarah from hold my guns and myself and several other people um, talking about. So you open the door to, to obviously pimp that out a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a valid point. It's like, if we, if we can address and, and at least shift their focus to, I mean, that's something that we could work on together and actually save lives and there's actually room where magazine bans are not going to help where all these different things gun-free zones are not going to help not allowing people to build their own firearms that's not going to help none of this stuff will help there are legit tangible things because we see people doing it on unfortunately a smaller scale than it should be we see people doing it um on, on our side of the in our side of the community right and it's sad that we don't have more people on board who are truly interested in saving lives. Yeah. You know, we did, um, it was, I, I felt like it was a little bit underreported, honestly, in the, in the gun community, but uh, we finished up a 14 month project uh, with a group called the Convergence Center um, just at the end of the year last year. And it might've been because the report came out just before the holidays. Um, but Mike Sedini was part of that. The NSSF was part of that. Uh, Chris Chang was part of it. Uh, I was there. Uh, some other people, Gunshot Project from Colorado, representing their their group was there. And then on the other side of the coin, we had a uh, representative from, uh, let's see, we had Giffords was in there. I think every town was in there. Um, there were several academics. Um, there was someone there from the uh, American uh, 
Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, the New Hampshire uh, Firearms uh, Safety Project that started that ended up becoming de facto really what the NSSF built off of when they started their project in uh, New Hampshire. I think it's New Hampshire Firearm Safety Council. One of their representatives was there. Uh, a really diverse group, obviously bipartisan, obviously on both sides of the coin. But the focus for 14 months was working on uh, how to reduce the firearms and number of firearms involved suicides in this country. And at the end of it, the report that came out and people can find the report. Um, I know it was out in like Amelan and places like that, but um, you can find the report under the Convergence Center. And it is very clear, like the, the way, the path, everyone in that group and, and all these organizations signed it, including, you know, my 2AO organization, Walk Talk America, Everytown, Giffords, NSSF. This, the signature is on a report that says the best opportunities here have nothing to do with policy. Right. It, it, there's no law. There's no policy. There's no ban. There's no restriction. It's about education. It's about awareness. It's about responsibility. And it's best led by the gun community. And right in that report um, of several different projects, including Walk to Talk America, are mentioned. So so it's getting out there. Right. People are starting right. talking. Uh, uh, I had some great conversations with John Hopkins. We know John Hopkins, um, the School for Public Health there is funded by Bloomberg. We understand where they're, whether they admit it or not, it's pretty clear, right, that they're not working with a lot of people in the gun community. Um, but I know that like David Yamane has talked with them. I've talked with them uh, about the way they do surveys and, and how to better communicate if they're really sincere, if they don't want to be anti-gun, how to better communicate with gun owners to better serve gun owners. Because guess what? Those suicides, the, the ne all the negligent deaths and the suicides are happening to gun owners. They're happening to our families. They're happening in our community. Obviously, we all care about it. Um, you know, Century Arms, so I'm one of the, the, the biggest, uh, you know, firearm, they put more firearms into the stream than a lot of other companies. They're now going to be including the information card um, from Walk the Talk America. Um, I just found that out uh, just this week. Nice. They, 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 that's going to start, I think, next week or, or next month. They're going to start doing that. And several other gun companies already do it. Obviously, some ammunition companies do it. Safe companies do it. Um, it's incredibly important that we start addressing this mental health issue and address the suicide issue. Um, NSSF, I think, has done a great job for years of addressing the responsibility issue of gun ownership and, and you know, securing guns from kids, Project Child Safe, things like that. Uh, I, I just think it's something we need to be more open about. We need to be more proactive about. And that really does shut down the other side because it exposes the lie. Right. Well, I know that you have to uh, you have to jet. Um, give you a second to. Uh, talk about a few things before you do uh, the poll. I did end it. So thanks to all that voted in that. Uh, how long do you think it takes to build your own firearm start to finish? 43% hours, 41% days, which is uh, 84%. I think that's pretty much on the nose. Other at 12% and only 2% said minutes. So uh, that yeah, may be the way, that may be the way it actually breaks down. Like the average, like if you just took like the average hundred gun owners, Maybe right. a couple of them would get it done in less than an hour, and most of them would be doing it in a matter of, uh, you know, one and a half to, to three hours probably. So that, that right. those hours. Make sense. Right. Hours to days. Yeah, absolutely. So um, where's, what you got going? What's up next? Uh, where do you get out of here? Uh, we're getting ready to launch Personal Defense Network training tour. Um, we actually just, I haven't even posted it yet. The logo for the new tour just got uh, approved today. So I'll be putting that out in my social media tomorrow. But people can go to pdntrainingtour.com. They might be able to see the logo there. This is the logo from, I think, 2017 or so. Um, but you'll see all our new sponsors. Um, it's amazing uh, who we've got involved this year. We've got Nemo Arms, Winchester Ammunition, Voltec Safe. Uh, primary arms online store uscca is back with us um canic firearms um, is in as our pistol sponsor um rapid fire radio is going to be our media sponsor we're going to be doing weekly updates from all around the tour all the instructors will be 
uh, participating there. And, uh, and I'm, uh, NLT Cert, Cert's been with us since the beginning. They're back with us again as a tour sponsor. Um, Next Level Training, Mike Hughes and Britt and those guys. Um, it, it's just, it's an amazing thing. We are back bigger than we were in 2019. Obviously 20, we took off 21 was a little bit of a rebuilding year. This year will be more courses, um, more activity, more instructors. Our instructor team is amazing. Uh, Derek Poole, uh, Barrett Kendrick, who are regulars at PDN, Kevin Dixie, uh, Jarrah Hutchins, clearing the chamber. Uh, who else we got? Ryan Hoover is one of our new additions this year. Wow. Um, he's a, really an unarmed guy. I'm fit to fight. Does mostly unarmed stuff, extreme close quarter stuff. Just an awesome, awesome educator. Um, he's been, uh, been involved with my classes. I've been a student of his, uh, just watching what he's doing. And I'm really proud to have him on the PDN tour. Um, Clint Macro is back trigger pressers union. Uh, Alessandro Padovane safer, faster defense is going to be back on the tour. Uh, sorry if I'm leaving anybody out, but it's, uh, it's going to be great. We'll have over 100 events that kicks off March 15th and goes through September 15th. I'll probably do about 40 to 50 classes myself during that time, um, coast to coast. We've got classes. Uh, you can find them all at pdntrainingtour.com, and uh, we'll be putting all that stuff out in social media, obviously, quite a bit over the next six months as well. So that's the big news for me. Gunmakers matches coming up next month. I think there may still be a few competition slots. We, we limit, obviously, the number of people that can participate. But if you're interested, if you build guns or you want to try to build a gun, you've got almost 30 days to get it done. Uh, so hit, hit gunmakersmatch.com and see if you can join us this year. Right. And uh, obviously you're on the, the YouTubes, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, all any any place that has an audience, Rob will be there. And truth. I was one of the beta testers on Trump's new uh, truth social. So uh, nice. I'm there as as Pinkus Rob. Usually I'm, I'm at Pinkus Rob, Instagram, Twitter, right. and at truth. So come find me over right. there. So uh, are you making NRA the end of May? So, you know, Kevin Dixie's train and learn event is the same weekend. Yeah, we're going to have at least four PDN tour instructors, obviously, including Kevin and I will be there at that event. I think Ryan Hoover is going to be there. I think uh, Barrett Kendrick's going to be there. Maybe a couple others. Uh, Jarrah Hutchins will probably be there. So probably at least five of us there. I, I, wow. I'm definitely going to be at his event. Um, I'm, I'm not even going to have to teach. There's so many great tour instructors there. I'm showing up just to have fun and shoot and be a student and, and hang out socially. So right. I probably, I see myself potentially leaving uh, maybe late uh, on day two or getting up super early Sunday morning and trying to catch the end of NRA. Right. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, well, you know, you're welcome on to this anytime. I know you got to go. So thanks for, yeah. uh, thanks for jumping in and, and talking private gun making and, and, uh, all this involved yeah. in the hobby and a little more. So appreciate it. I Rob. appreciate it. Man. You know, you do so much work that I think a lot of people don't know. Um, you, you spend a lot of time, uh, I will say, uh, effectively networking, collaborating in the background with a lot of us. Um, and, and just thank you for everything that you do supporting so many of us that are doing other things. And, and you, Obviously, all this media stuff and the content and the entertainment that you give to your audience, I think everybody knows. But they should also know you do a lot in the background, too. And it's very appreciated and respected. Well, it takes a village, right? We can't all do everything. Clover tax quoting Hillary Clinton. Here we go. As much as oh. we uh, as much as we all would like to be able to do everything, we can't do it. So, uh, you got it. yeah, it's, it's it's nice to uh, nice to have help. So, uh, right. yeah, that's going to do it. Bye, Rob. And, um, yeah, we're going to close this one out. We've got Trailblazer Firearms on tomorrow. So join us for that one. And, uh, yeah, till next time, don't forget to chain fire freedom.